Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific program for you today, including, as usual, on Monday mornings, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global affairs. We'll also visit with John Miltimore. He is the editor-at-large at fee.org. You may have heard about the Fed's vehicle kill switch mandate that's been going to be a... Uh, imposed on the American public. We'll find out more about that. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of many books, his latest is called No Problem. It is November the 27th, and on this day in 1095, Pope Urban II made uh, perhaps the most influential speech of the Middle Ages, giving rise to the Crusades by calling all Christians in Europe to war against Muslims in order to reclaim the Holy Land with the cry of Deus Vult, or God wills it. Born Ordo of uh, Legory, Urban was a protege of the great uh, reformer, Pope Gregory VII. Like Gregory, he made internal reforms his main focus, railing against simony, the selling of church offices, and other clerical abuses prevalent during the Middle Ages. Urban showed himself to be an adept and powerful cleric, and when he was elected pope in 1088, he applied his statecraft to weakening support for his rivals, notably Clement III. By the end of the 11th century, the Holy Land, the area now commonly referred to as the Middle East, had become a point of conflict for European Christians. Since the 6th century, Christians frequently made pilgrimages to the birthplace of their religion, but when the Turks took control of Jerusalem, uh, Christians were barred from the Holy City. <clears throat> when the Turks then threatened to invade the Byzantine Empire and take Constantinople, Byzantine Emperor uh, Alexius I made a special appeal to Urban for help. This was not the first appeal of its kind, but it came at an important time for Urban. Uh, wanting to reinforce the power of the papacy, Urban seized the opportunity to unite Christian Europe against under him as he fought to take back the Holy Land from the Turks. At the Council of Clermont in France, at which several hundred clerics and noblemen gathered, Urban delivered a rousing speech summoning rich and poor alike to stop their infighting and embark on a religious war to help the, their fellow Christians in the East and take back Jerusalem. Urban denigrated the Muslims, exaggerating stories of their anti-Christian acts, and proposed absolution and remission of sins for all who died in the service of Christ. Urban's war cry caught fire, mobilizing clerics to drum up support throughout Europe and for the crusade against the Muslims. All told, between 60,000 and 100,000 people responded to Urban's call to march on Jerusalem. Not all who responded did so out of piety. European nobles were tempted by the prospect of increased land holdings and riches to be gained from the conquest. These nobles were responsible for the death of a great many innocents, uh, both in the way in, to and in the uh, Holy Land, absorbing their riches and estates of those who conveniently deemed opponents to be their, co their cause. Adding to the death toll were the inexperience and lack of 
discipline of the Christian peasants against the trained professional armies of the Muslims. As a result, the Christians were initially beat back, and only through sheer force of numbers were they eventually able to triumph. Urban died in 1099, two weeks after the fall of Jerusalem, but before news of the Christian victory made it back to Europe, he was the first of seven major military campaigns fought over the next two centuries known as the Crusades, the bloody repercussions of which are still felt today. And boy, are they. They're still, I think this is the, the seeds, I think, of uh, <clears throat> Muslim hates for, uh, hate for Christians, infidels, and for uh, Jews. Urban was beatified by the Roman Catholic Church in 1881. That's the story of the beginnings of the Crusades. Well, the Dow Jones, S&P, and 500 closed up during the half-day trading session on Friday. All three averages ended a holiday week up, notching fourth consecutive week of gains. We know that the S&P 500 had a sensational month, up nearly 8.7%. But just how impressive has this rally been? Well, it's one of the best Novembers on record. Since 1928, the S&P has gained more than 8%. That's right more than 8% in November, fewer than 10 times. Let's hope that for uh, leftovers can fuel the index across the finish line this week. And, of course, uh, the t- December starts, I think it's on Friday. <laughs> well, 17 hostages held in uh, the Gaza Strip were released yesterday. The third group freed during a tenuous four-day ceasefire between Israel and Hamas that was held over the weekend and up to the early this morning. In exchange, Israel released 39 Palestinian prisoners. The Cater and U.S.-mediated ceasefire began Friday when Hamas agreed to release at least 50 of around 240 hostages abducted during the October 7th attack in southern Israel in exchange for about 150 Palestinian prisoners. The majority is said to be primarily women and children on both sides. As of late yesterday, 43 hostages have been released by Hamas, while around 100 prisoners have been released by Israel. Among yesterday's group was at least one American, a four-year-old Abigail Moore Eden. Reports suggest she was taken October the 7th, during which both of her parents were killed. Also released was a nine-year-old Israeli-Irish citizen, Emily Hand, who was previously believed to have been killed, but of course, alive and released by Hamas. Well, the percentage of voters who believe that the American dream and the idea that working hard brings more success has dramatically decreased over the past decade, according to a poll. Uh, About a third of voters, 36%, say the once popular ethos holds true per the poll, which was conducted in October by the Wall Street Journal and the University of Chicago. Only 36% believe that this still holds true. That's roughly half of the percentage who believed in the American dream last year, the Wall Street Journal found. Similar polls found that a majority of voters, 53%, believed in the American dream in 2012 and that 46 believed it in 2016. In other words, hard work pays off. Many aren't believing that anymore. The poll defined the American dream as that idea that if you work hard, you'll get ahead. It also asked voters whether life in America is better or worse today than 50 years ago and whether the economy and economic and political systems are stacked against them. Exactly half of the respondents in both instances uh, conveyed pessimism. 50% said America is worse off today, and 50% said the economic and political systems were stacked against them. Wow. 
those who no longer believed in who no longer believed in American dream associated with both American political parties, women and younger people were more disillusioned by the sentiment than men and older people. Respondents in the poll also reported feeling down on the economy. And while the polls found that uh, voters have become more optimistic about the economy since May of last year, they're still largely dissatisfied. 65% viewed the strength of the economy as not so poor, good or poor, while 30% or 35% it was, said it was good or excellent. Most must be the groups that are on welfare and food stamps. Those results coincide with the cost of living uh, expenses continue to increase, albeit uh, more slowly. Inflation rates since last May have improved from nearly 9% to close to 3% as of October, but prices for housing, groceries, and gas remain on the rise. I think gas is down a little bit, but uh, even if it, at a slower pace. The poll was conducted by about 1,163 voters, so it's a it's a good poll. And uh, it's very sad that we need to turn this around. I think we could do this if we have better leadership in the White House. Well, officials in charge of the U.S. Air Force Base in North Dakota sparked controversy by allegedly sending a message to airmen warning them against attending a conservative rally that was being held in the area on November the 17th, claiming that supporters of former President Donald Trump are confrontational towards the military. This is unbelievable. Airmen stationed at Minot uh, Air Force Base re- reportedly received a message warning them that it going, against going downtown on the day of the Trump rally. Leaders, please exercise caution if, you're, if downtown this weekend, the message read, advising airmen to be careful and to reach out for any concerns about going to Monad's downtown area. The pro-Trump rally that day, dubbed the Dakota Patriot Rally, was held at the state fairgrounds in Minot. Uh, the text added that uh, some Trump rallygoers could be confrontational to military members and airmen should be cautious. The message was shared on the Air Force uh, Facebook page in a post that labeled the conservative activist group Turning Point Action as an alt-right group. Uh, Turning Point Action is a not-for-profit that promotes common conservative principles. The Facebook page uh, warned that Turning Point Action Chief Operating Officer Tyler Bowler is an alt-right speaker. The message noted, we just got word of the event going to the fairgrounds downtown called the Dakota Patriot Rally. Its guest speaker is from the alt-right organization called Turning Point Action. Please advise your folks that if they're going downtown this weekend, it's good to be cautious as crowds at this event may be confrontational to military members. Where'd they get that nonsense? Aside from the odd claim that Trump supporters are confrontational to the military, the message also warned airmen that attending the event could jeopardize their military career. Can you imagine that? Additionally, please remind them that the participation with groups such as Turning Point Action could jeopardize their continued service in the U.S. military, the foreboding message added. In another part of the message, the officials tried to link a November 17th shooting that occurred in Minot to the attendees of the Trump rally, saying it was unclear if the shooting was related. Of course, it wasn't. It was on another side of town. Meanwhile, the message has sparked outrage from many Americans and even came to the attention of GOP Representative Corey Mills of Florida, who blasted the Air Force for possibly violating the Constitution. You know, these people have a right to say what they want and to assemble where they want. Uh, Just because of the military, they don't give up their American rights, their civil rights. 
uh, and then uh, basically now uh, the military has walked back this claim and said the message was based on incorrect data and sent outside of official base messaging platforms. The base wrote in an updated uh, statement, according to the Epoch Times. Once the error was identified, base security officials corrected the message, traffic to categorize uh, the event as a local political fundraiser with no security concerns. Further, the updated message communicated there were no issues with military members participating in the personal personal capacity. In line with the First Amendment rights, all Air Force airmen have a constitutional right to freedom of assembly, the statement concluded. Let's hope so. We, uh, Senator Kevin Kramer, uh, he's from North Dakota, Republican, uh, criticized the Air Force base and said the left-wing political messaging is way too common in the U.S. military and that the military needs to focus on its mission. We need them to get focused on, on that and get off of the DEI woke nonsense that's infiltrated our military and now infiltrated North Dakota. Let's get to the mission, Kramer said in the press release. Unbelievable. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. 
or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with John Milibor, the editor-at-large of Fee.org. Right now, we have with us Mark Schulman. He is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, uh, thank you so much for... (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob, as always. Thank you, Mark. So tell us about HistoryCentral.com. Absolutely, Bob. History Central is a central location to learn all about history. We have a major section on American history that goes from the actually the, the Native Americans before, before Europeans arrived, all the way through the colonies, through the Revolutionary War, um, all the way through the 60s, all the way through actually to last year, basically. Wow. That's as far as, as, far as we go. Um, we have special sections on every one of America's wars. We go in-depth on the wars, multimedia presentations on the various battles. We have world history, not quite as in-depth, but a world history, particularly the 20th century. We have an in-depth part of all aspects of the 20th century. We have specialty sections on aviation, on railroads, on Navy ships. We have the history of every U.S. naval ship. Um, with in many cases photos of it. So that's basically History Central. HistoryCentral.com, terrific multimedia website, great for kids of all ages, and that includes you and I. So, Mark, as we've been doing for about the last 15 years, talking about global events, uh, Mark is located, by the way, for our audience of benefit in Tel Aviv right now. So can you give us an update on what's happening in Israel? Right. So right now, all eyes have been on these hostage release um, that goes on every evening. They're supposed to start at four. It's a four-day uh, temporary ceasefire. Today is theoretically the last day of which. Um, every day is its own drama. Hamas plays out with the numbers, plays out with the time. Yesterday went quickly. The day before wasn't until midnight that the uh, 17 hostages were being released. We're only talking now about women and children. Um, there was Yesterday was this... Uh, a little girl, four-year-old girl with dual citizenship, American and Israeli citizenship, who was released. She, Both her parents um, had been killed, and she was released yesterday. As a matter of fact, President Biden called the family afterwards. The Irish prime minister, um, and it's not not what I want to discuss about Ireland, wrote a ridiculous tweet the uh, day before about a a, a three-year-old Irish girl who was saved, she came back with her mother, I believe, that she was found, thankfully. She was lost, and now she was found. Hmm. Lost and found. Lost and found in, in Hamas. So at any rate, um, these four days are about over. There's a lot of discussions about extending it for two or three more days. Israel is willing to extend it, but the rule has to be they have to release 10 hostages a day for Israel to, to extend it. Hamas is sort of claiming it doesn't know where all their hostages are. They're with different groups. All sorts of stories that just don't ring true. No one did anything in 
Gaza without Hamas knowing. But that's what they're claiming at the moment, so it's not at all clear what's going to go on starting tomorrow. Um, there's concern on one hand, you know, all the world saying, great, ceasefire, let's keep the ceasefire. But obviously, if you keep the ceasefire, it means Hamas stays in power. Right. And uh, no one in this country is willing to allow, from the far left to the far right in the political spectrum, no one in this country thinks it's worthwhile to keep Hamas in power. And I'm not worthwhile is not the right word, but it, it's, it's, it can happen. No one, can, no one believes that Hamas can stay in power. And therefore, the expectations is Israel will resume. It's going to be more difficult because a lot of the people in Gaza were moved to the south, and now they're the most of the Hamas is also in the south. So now you have to work in really populated areas, which will be a challenge. So, how much has Israel surrendered in terms of the gains made uh, so far in Gaza? And and by that I mean with the ceasefire, they you know. No, nothing at all. I mean, they didn't give up any any areas or anything. They just. You know, came to came to a temporary halt. I mean, they they lost a bit of momentum, but yeah. on the other hand, you know, the Israeli troops also could use the break. They've been fighting in Gaza for three straight weeks, mm. so having a break, getting hot meals sent in, having cots sent in so they could sleep on on cots as opposed to on the floor. You know, that's also a useful thing for an army to have a few days off. Great point. So yeah, you know, so it's not even in World War Two, they tried. You know, they they tried rotating troops in and out of the front on a pretty regular basis, because it's just very difficult. I mean, sometimes you have to, but you know, the, the goal is, is not to if you don't have to, obviously. So I, so it works both ways, and Israel's also able to plan the next stage and um, in a more you know, comprehensive way, so to speak. So, yeah, it's, it, Israel lost a little momentum, but I don't think it's, it's too bad as long as it can regain the momentum and uh, the world doesn't try to stop. As long as Biden continues to support Israel's actions, it's okay. Um, if that stops, then it becomes a little more problematic. Now, I should mention there's another aspect of it. There's not getting a lot of a lot of play in the United States. Um, the Houthis, which are uh, a breakaway part of Yemen, who have been at war on and off with Saudi Arabia. Now, they're Iranian-sponsored um, subdivision, shall we say, in Yemen. The Saudis have been fighting them on and off for many years. Right. Um, they've been firing missiles at Israel on a regular basis, including during this theoretical ceasefire. More interesting, um, two days ago they they sent a, a suicide drone at a ship that was partially owned by an Israeli. It did damage but didn't hurt anybody. Yesterday they actually seized a ship that was under ownership. Not, it was flying Liberian flag, but it was owned, owned by an Israeli businessman. They seized the ship. Hmm. However, U.S. Navy was nearby, and U.S. Navy, I don't know whether they were, they were commandos or who they were, but the U.S. Navy troops... Um, came and retook the ship from the Houthi rebels and pirates and arrested the pirates as pirates. Great. I, I wasn't aware of that. That got no coverage here in the United States. It got, no, it got no coverage at all. As a matter of fact, I, have, I put up a daily newsletter every night around 10, about midnight. It's called Tel Aviv Diary. And I heard that news from somewhere and was able to track it down on um, Arab, uh, Arab sources. And then this morning, it's been in some of the papers here in Israel that it took place, but it's gotten very little coverage at all. Yeah, that, so that's, that, that's, that's good news. That's a very positive thing. I mean, the U.S. Navy has always been responsible for keeping the sea lanes open and getting going against pirates. So it, it's it's fulfilling its traditional mission by uh, rescuing a ship and arresting the pirates. Perfect. So. Thank you for that update, Mark. So uh, what about the uh, Lebanon front? Uh, what's happening with uh, Hezbollah? It's been quiet during this period of time. The Lebanese also said they would maintain the ceasefire, 
and Israel has also maintained the ceasefire in Lebanon. What will happen afterwards, I do not know. Uh, there are about 100,000 people who are evacuated from their homes along the Lebanese border. And so, you know, how that will go forward, uh, they will not go back unless the unless Hezbollah uh, goes back and maintains the UN agreement that their troops will stay north of the Latani River. They violated that agreement, even though they, they were UN forces in South Lebanon, but as I explained to someone yesterday, the UN forces are mostly there for show. I've never seen any UN forces actually take military action against someone who's violating an agreement. So uh, the, the key question is to get them to move north of the Latani, which is a certain distance away from the Israeli border so that they don't have troops right on top of the border. Well, I must say, so Mark, that this, uh, this has all been a very positive report up to this point. So hopefully uh, this is not going to stretch out. Hopefully it'll come to an end. And uh, I look forward to a discussion with you about what's going to happen after Hamas is defeated and uh, how the area in Palestine is going to be run. So uh, we need to take a little short, a short break. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and know the policy. They help prepare elected officials to have a winning strategy in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. 
Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us and continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Uh, let's pick up with uh, Ukraine, what's happening Israel and what's happening in the Middle East is kind of pushing Ukraine out of the news, but uh, it continues. Very much. I mean, the war continues a little bit slower. Uh, many more deep strikes. In other words, the Russia did a major drone attack on Kiev. I believe it was yesterday, mm-hmm. but uh, all but one of the drones was knocked down before they could hit the target. Uh, the Ukrainians seem to be hitting targets fairly deep into Russia, um, and as a matter of fact, there also seems to be some sort of partisan activity. You had a Russian um, engine factory suddenly was on fire last night. Um, so they're... Um, the deep strikes have been much more effective, the Ukrainian ones, actually, than the Russian ones, interestingly enough. And um, like I said last week, they, they've also, in this past week, they've managed to sink another uh, Russian ship in the Black Sea. So the Black Sea is becoming an area where the Russians cannot operate, which is quite a change. Uh, but on the other hand, the, the battlefield, the Russians continue their attacks in the northern part of the border at, at a town Aravak. I'm not thinking I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, they've sustained uh, the highest losses of the war from what, from what we've been able to tell, uh, but they keep on coming. Um, and the Ukrainians have made some some substantial progress in the middle of the front in Kherson, where they've crossed the Danube River in, um, in large numbers at this point. Mm-hmm. And so it's a bridgehead. How far they'll go again? It's winter now, and it's more difficult to... Um, to operate, especially in the sort of in-between season. When it gets deep in the winter, the, the ground gets frozen. Now it's a mixture of muddy and rainy and not great for tanks, let's put it that way. Right. So uh, how are the shipping lanes? Are they, uh, are they still able to ship uh, f- uh, grain? They're able to ship their grain out. Um, it's a d- little difficult, more challenging, but they are, do- they are shipping some of the grain out. There have been some disputes on the Polish border, it's not. To- I have to be honest with you. I'm not totally clear understanding what this, what's been going on between Poland and, and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Poland is about to go into a transition with its far right government having been ousted, uh, but they haven't left power yet. And um, the new government coming in is also is very pro-Ukrainian. So we'll have to see what what develops there as well. Um, you know, it's. There are a lot of politics everywhere, as you know. Uh, absolutely. Is, is the support for Ukraine drying up uh, globally? No. In Europe, it's certainly not. The only place it's, it's drying up is in the Republican Party of the United States. Everywhere else, it's, it's strong. It's strong in Europe. The Europe's have basically said they're going to step up. If the U.S. Is, is cuts, cuts back, it's going to, they're going to do their best to step up. Their problem is they don't have the industrial capacity to step up enough, or they're trying to build up their capacity. So the only drop is in the Republican Party of the United States for reasons the life of me I've never understood, but that's a different story. So, uh, Mark, can you, uh, this is a, a little off-tangent a little bit, but uh, with regard to, I understand that uh, the United States has developed some new aircraft, supersonic. Uh, they've got some things in the works that could improve our defense mechanisms and the ability to fight. Uh, any comments or thoughts? No, look, I mean, we always, we, we've had um, a number of, you know, uh, black Black development projects, projects that we that, that um, are not um, are not too public, and we've developed a number of things in, in that sort of way. Uh, there are some new products that are that are in in development that seem to be close to being deployed. Our biggest problem is you know, the the Defense Department made a huge mistake going back 
20 or 30 years, the end of the Civil Civil War, the end of the Cold War, mm-hmm. where it encouraged a lot of the defense manufacturers to uh, to merge. And so you had all sorts of companies like Grumman, which is, was in Long Island, and you had Lockheed and Martin, which were separate, and um, you had um, you had Northrop and Boeing, which were separate, and there were about you know there were about ten major defense manufacturers. There were about ten separate major manu- major defense manufacturers, and the U.S. made the mistake of encouraging them to merge together. So today you only have two major defense manufacturers. Hmm. We have a lot of subcontractors. They only have two. And guess what? When you only have two, you have less innovation, you have less competition on price, and you have a development cycle that in and of itself is a problem in the U.S. Armed Forces that it takes a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is part of, the, part of the problem as well. So, you know, part of our problem, look, we have the F-35, seems to be finally to be a reasonably good aircraft, mm-hmm. but it's taken 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, just think of where computers were 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Um, can you elaborate but, on uh, what it, the encouragement from the United States to, uh, from the State Department to uh, consolidate? What, what did that look like? The Defense Department, not so much the State Department. The Defense uh. Department um, encouraged in, in two sort of ways. First of all, they said they would not oppose mergers. That's number one. Uh-huh. They also recommended them in the sense that they thought there would be there would be um, save you know savings in manufacturing costs if companies merge. It's always they always talk about that. It never really happens. Mm-hmm. And number three, because there were cutbacks and after the Cold War, they basically hinted there wouldn't be enough contracts for all the companies to survive. So they, in that sense, I mean, they didn't actually create the mergers. Yeah. But they encouraged in any way they could those mergers to take place. Gotcha. And who knows if there was something fishy going on too under the table. I have absolutely no idea, and I don't want to even infer there was. But, but for reasons of, of efficiency and everything else, they encouraged these mergers, and these mergers, in retrospect, and I should have been clear then, were bad. Yeah. You know, competition is a very good thing. Capitalism is wonderful when there's competition. Capitalism becomes problematic when they're monopolies. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, activities on K Street had something to do with it. <laughs> quite I sure. have no doubt. There's, there's no doubt about it. But it wasn't only that. Yeah. It wasn't only that. There was a false. It was a false understanding of the markets. Yeah. And, and look, understand this. You know, when you say K Street, it's not even K Street. You have in in most of the government in the in defense department, everywhere else, you have a revolving door. And in, in the area of defense, it's one way. As you get out of the military. And you get a job often with defense manufacturers. Absolutely. Uh, and that happens all the time. And in, in the Congress, it's a revolving door. You go back and forth, back and forth, which is a real, real problem. All right. Uh, there needs to be significant reform that somehow manages to separate out. You cannot, uh, I think it should, it should be a significant amount of time that you cannot work for companies in the field that you worked for for the government. Uh, I, I think um, that should be also be true in the pharmaceutical business as well. It should be across the board. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it should be across the board. You should not be able to work in, in for any of the industries that you regulated, you gave contracts to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, it takes more legislation. And, you know, we're in a period where people want to say, hands off, you know, don't put regulation. But, you know, some regulation is bad and some regulation is good. Yeah. As one congressman, a retired congressman, told me, said, you know, Bob, we've got the best government that money can buy. <laughs> well, there's no question about that. Look, the biggest problem was a decision by the Supreme, in my opinion, was a decision by the Supreme Court that says money equals 
free speech, yeah. Free speech. Yeah. And and that encouraged infinite amount of money to be used in political campaigns. Yeah. And once you have that, I mean, look, as you probably know, a senator gets elected tomorrow, even if he's not going to be, come for re-election for six years, he starts raising money in the next week. That's exactly. So before I let you go, Mark, uh, any comments or thoughts on Ireland? So Ireland is a, is a sad story in a way. So what happened in Ireland, um, I guess it was two days ago, three days ago, um, some, some kids and a teacher were involved in a knife fight, and they were hurt in a knife fight. Uh, rumors were said that wasn't true at the time that it was an Moroccan immigrant that was the one who knifed them. Hmm. As a result, through, thanks to the wonders of social media, thousands took to the streets to demonstrate against the immigrants who had come and were undermining Ireland, and the result was it was rioting, and uh, there was violence in the rioting that took place, all because of a false rumor yeah. that was promulgated on social networks. Sad. So, Again, it's really sad. Social networks are such a... I mean, they're, they're great for certain things, but it, it's really very problematic. You know, you see something, you have no way of knowing whether it's true or not. And that's one of the biggest problems. You know, we, we race, we see, a, we see a post of some kind, we race to conclusions, mm-hmm. and we often act on those conclusions. And the reality is, it was false. And it, you know and what? So many things are... Who, who, so many else, things who are else participates is, of course, the mainstream media, which is really sad, so... I agree with you. The mainstream media is very problematic in many cases, but there is some sort of breaks in the mainstream media. The problem in social media is there's no break at all. Yeah, you know, There's absolutely no break. There's, there's nothing there to check whether there's any truth to it. The mainstream media can often be guilty of, of um, padding a story, of turning a story to one direction or another, but on social media, just are absolute falsehoods. Right. And that's a real problem. And I don't have a solution, mind you. It's just a real, real problem that we've created a monster that we don't know how to tame that creates all sorts of difficulties. Indeed. Mark Schumann, again, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I hope you'll check it out. Mark, as usual, great commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You and all your listeners. You as well. Thank you, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with John Millimore. John is the uh, editor-at-large for Fee.org. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting uh, network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. And a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. 
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. For joining us here on the show, we're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us John Miltimore. John is the uh, editor-at-large for Fee.org. John, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, John. Tell us about Fee.org. Yeah, Fee has been around since uh, the 1940s. Our mission is to inspire and educate future leaders uh, on economics and just the ethical principles necessary for a free society. FEE.org. I hope you're checking out a very robust website. It's great, especially geared for uh, people uh, in high school or college age. And I uh, hope you'll, if you have somebody in your, in, uh, your life that age, I hope you introduce them to FEE.org. Check it out yourself. It's, it's really good. So, John, you wrote a piece about the kill switch for, fe- for vehicles. This is a kind of scary stuff. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, this is kind of a wild story. I didn't know what to believe when I first saw it. I, I did see a, a, a congressman from Kentucky, Thomas Massey, had introduced a, an amendment on the floor to to ban what he was calling a kill switch. And the way he described it, this switch would uh, be able to turn off people's cars. If it, it, the, the whole technology is around trying to stop, you know, drunk driving and people driving under the influence. But people on the floor said, well, it doesn't do what Massey said. And uh, I read several fact checkers kind of took issue with this idea that there's a kill switch in the vehicle. Uh, but I went and read the bill and, and dug into what the fact checkers actually wrote, not in their headlines, but in the text itself. And it is troubling because uh, what the the mandate does, and, and it helps to, as background, this was buried in a $1 trillion spending bill, the, hmm. the infrastructure bill of, of 2021. Uh, was this mandate, and, and it does, it, it mandates that every single vehicle produced um, after 2000, 2026 has this technology, which can do two things. It can monitor the driver, and it can disable vehicles uh, if it does detect um, any impropriety. Um, and this, there, there's just all kinds of serious questions around this. There's privacy issues. There's questions about how this technology would actually be implemented. Um, you know, whether or not law enforcement would be, um, you know, notified at some point. And, and that question is really what, what stirred everything up because there were a lot of false reports saying like this would automatically 
trigger police to come. And the legislation doesn't do that, but it certainly doesn't make it. Um, there's nothing that would restrict mm-hmm. um, the companies from sharing that you know information either. You know, with, with authorities. So I think there are real privacy concerns on here, and it's something you know that wasn't really debated. There, and Americans really aren't even aware that this. Uh, this legislation exists. And uh, most importantly, I mean, it, it just sounds like Big Brother 1984. In other words, uh, you know, more and more information is being developed in, in ways that, where the American citizen doesn't have a choice. And uh, the Big Brother is watching you, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Yeah. And, and, you know, 1984 is a great comparison. Uh, another one is, you know, I, I was a fan of Philip K. Dick, the, another kind of science f- fiction author. And he wrote something many listeners probably remember called the Minority Report. And the, the whole premise of the Minority Report is, <coughs> excuse me, a, a, a government that's so big, it's actually trying to stop all these crimes before they even happen. Mm-hmm. And they're using kind of like some super technology, precognition to detect and root out crimes before they happen. And it's a cool book. It's a cool movie. Um, but the thing to understand is, Philip Dick is saying this is really dangerous, right? Like when we're trying, we're so, we're so aggressively policing that we're watching everything you do, and we're actually going to try to stop crimes before they occur. So here's the thing. I mean, the founders said that, well, you know, we were born to be free and that we create a government in order to make sure, protect our, our property and our persons uh, from from predators. And yet all of a sudden now it's the government that's taking control of our lives. No, that's exactly right. You know, it's the thing about this. This isn't the the technology that it's not just allowed. It's being mandated in vehicles. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the federal government is mandating this, I think, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution. And, you know, a lot of Americans don't take privacy very seriously today. We have, you know, cameras all around us. We have government surveillance that's happening all the time, whether we know it or not. Um but the founders did take privacy quite seriously, and, yes. they, and they spell out the Fourth Amendment, which I think you just alluded to, Bob. And it says the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. Um, so I think this is a clear violation of that. Um, hopefully, you know, it's just an issue that, that continues to get attention. I hope, I hope Thomas Massey continues to kind of pound the table on this. Um, this is serious. It's dangerous. And I think... Um, in, there are reasons, you know, like people can say, well, I think it, it should, I would support that, but at least let's have that discussion. Exactly. This is really, you know, surreptitiously slipped into a, a $1 trillion spending bill, and I find that um, very unethical. Yeah. Like, this is this is serious enough where, where there should have been serious discussion about this. That never happened, and and I, I hope uh, I hope this is something that they can nip in the bud before it be, you know it, it's law now. But we have a few years before it goes into effect, and I hope they can kill this. Absolutely reminds me of the uh, uh, fact that the uh, FBI and CIA are able to conduct uh, surveillance of our phone calls now with U.S. citizens, and they've been doing it for years. I think illegally, if I'm not mistaken, but. Uh, you know, uh, you don't need. It doesn't. You don't even need a law <laughs> in order to violate our rights. No, you you, you don't. And it is something. I don't know when I woke up and and realized this, but I'm like, we we live in a country that has changed a lot in the last twenty twenty five years. Yes, there are things going on there um, that that simply, I, I think, a generation ago we wouldn't have tolerated. Um, we've kind of learned to accept these things, and. 
you know, it, it's a thought that, that has crossed my mind more than once. Um, and you, you mentioned Orwell, and like there is a lot of literature that says you have to beware this sort of surveillance state. Um, but you know, if you go back and um, look look at history, if you look at what the you know in East Germany what the Stasi had, and and you look at the NKVD and what Stalin had, um, what they could have done with the technology we have today. Those governments might still like still be around because with with you know the the tools the police states of yesterday had were pretty unsophisticated yeah. compared to what we have today. That's we right. have much more today, and and I think we had which is all the more reason we should beware of of you know giving government the ability to spy on us um, and and to violate our our rights. Uh, without repercussion. Absolutely. You know, uh, we, we, uh, with freedom comes responsibility. And if we all take responsibility for our lives and our families, you know, we need a lot less of this nonsense and we could be, live our lives freely, uh, with government uh, doing its job and staying in its lane. Again, John Miltimore, he is the editor at large for fee.org. I hope you check out the website, fee.org. Uh, John, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on, Bob. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Look forward to it. Thank you, John. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Hey. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And I hope you'll go to the website, check out some great performances coming up, and get tickets. The website is gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of some terrific murder mysteries. The first is uh, Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and his latest is called No Problem. Jim McTagg, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Bob. So I was watching uh, football this weekend, like everybody else, and uh, the Clemson game, uh, the, the most brilliant play in the in the Clemson game was uh, Donald Trump showing up to watch it yeah. in uh, Nikki Haley's backyard. He he scored a big touchdown in the in the the primary, and uh, it was a very smart political move. He he got uh, lots and lots of cheers, uh, few, a few uh, boos, but he was also. Uh, accompanied by the governor of uh, South Carolina, Lindsey Graham. I mean, he he uh, pretty much upstaged Nikki Haley, yeah. who is a uh, she's on the board, I think, at at Clemson, her alma mater. So, it uh, you know, Haley is to be admired for uh, actually improving her standing in the polls, but she's still way behind Donald Trump. And I, your listeners know I'm not a big Trump fan, but I, I, I have to admire his savvy in going to uh, South Carolina. Yeah. She's going to South Carolina today. Um, good good uh, luck with that. <laughs> yeah, but it, it brings to mind um, campaigns of your... I mean, Trump has to be very careful because... Um, and he knows this. He's smart. The simplest gaffe can come to haunt you in a campaign and cost you the election. And I think the most famous gaffe in election in modern election history is uh, 1988, when Mike Dukakis, who was considered soft on defense, appeared on top of a M1 Abrams tank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a helmet that was like three sizes too big for his head. He looked like Tweety Bird. Yeah, <laughs> he did. <laughs> How about the and, primal scream from, uh, what's his name, from New Hampshire? Or I've forgotten his name now, but the, the medical doctor who uh, who let out this primal scream. <laughs> yeah, the, um, Another guy. Uh, yeah, uh, Romney and the dog. I mean, in 1983, yeah. which was ancient history, uh, Romney took a road trip with his, his dog, and he had him on top of the roof in a carrier, mm -hmm. which he said was airtight, and, and the, the dog shamelessly loved it. But that was raised as a campaign issue in 2008 and 2012. And a lot of people think it cost Romney the election because dog lovers were appalled and, and Romney, instead of saying mea culpa, I, I wish I hadn't done it uh, way back in 1983, um, defended it. <laughs> you know, and so uh, it, so many people, I think two-thirds of the voters in the country own dogs. So this whole silly episode yeah. cost him an election. Um, well, and, now, let me ask you a point of question, though, Jim. I mean... 
right now, Trump has been attacked. He's uh, he, uh, found guilty of everything that he's being charged of in all these court cases. He's been serving up to 800 years in, in prison. What, what else could they throw at him? What could they possibly throw at him that could be upsetting to the polls? Yeah. I don't know. I, I keep hearing the commentators say that if Trump is convicted of something, yeah. it will affect the attitude of the voters. But I don't see. I think that the most voters, including myself, believe that most of these cases are politically motivated. It's, it's really uh, an example of the politicization of uh, the attorney general and the state's attorney generals so that the, the public dismisses these charges yeah um now i personally think that that trump agitated that crowd that stormed the capitol and they should be held accountable for that and the case in georgia looks strong but there's no smoking gun connecting him directly i i think with any of the actions on the on the ground so so again i think the public dismisses all these uh, prosecutions at show trials. Well, I think and, and, and the irony is, <laughs> you know, Trump, who probably is somewhat of a crook, um, and I say this cynically because I'm looking at the the New York real estate scene in general, but but he's he's he probably has uh, the mindset of a criminal. Like the laws don't apply to me. But he's going to run on a platform opposing lawlessness in this country, which is way out of hand under not only uh, Biden, but all the Democratic governors and mayors. And I think Trump can win on that issue alone. Now, there's the great irony. You know, well, but you see, I, I, you know, when I hear people talk about Trump in that way, I immediately revert to the thought of, I wonder what media outlets they are referring to and reading when they make these types of comments, because Trump, to me, has been extremely honest. They've been unable to ferret out any kind of dishonesty in all these activities whatsoever. So to me, I mean, I think... I, I would disagree with you on, on uh, how you see him. Now, I recognize that you have the right to see him that way, but I do think uh, the way the media covers Trump, I think it has a big impact on pe how people see Trump. Okay. No, I see him as a grifter, but I, I also agree that with the, the American concept of you're innocent until proven guilty, yeah. he hasn't been proven guilty. And, you know, the cases in New York should be, dismissed out of hand because the prosecutors ran for office saying we will get Trump. I right. mean, you know, talk, talk about a, a prejudiced prosecution. So, and I think voters in general will dismiss all these cases and, and, and Trump, uh, could win a runaway election against Biden. Yeah, well, in fact, if he was and in some way, somehow uh, put into jail, I think would only increase his popularity. <laughs> it would, maybe they would make him a saint. I don't know. <laughs> it's so interesting. But in, in, term, in terms of Nikki Haley, I think she's doing very well for a future election. Yeah. So, so I don't think she can seriously think that she's going to topple Trump when he has this huge no. lead in the polls. The polls cannot be dismissed, but I, you know, I give kudos for her and, and for, for 
elevating her profile within the Republican Party. Well, she's certainly done that. Again, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of some terrific murder mysteries. I've read them all, and they are great. Again, his latest is, quote-unquote, No Problem by Jim McTagg, M-C, capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly have and learned a lot. I look forward to I hope you join us tomorrow. We're going to have Kathleen Pasadomo, our uh, state Senate president, will be joining us, as well as Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, I hope you pass the word on to your friends. That's one of the ways we support our advertisers. And I really appreciate your listening. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>